Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. I had to get my mind to be quiet. And then the answer would come of what I had to do next. And sometimes it was to just relax, get into that flow, and then I was able to go harder. So I, I think the space you have to get into is the same, but what you will be able to do with that space is going to be very sport specific. College student stressing about grades because they're going to apply to law school, and so they have to grab every single grade instead of sitting back and enjoying the class and uh, studying for the pure passion of studying instead of angling for what extra credit can I do and just turn it in and not really connect to it. That was me, as a matter of fact. I was going through UCSB, and I thought I was going to go go to law school next. Wow. Yeah. And so looking back, and I majored in business econ with accounting emphasis because if you get a CPA and a law degree together, you make the most money of any attorney, the tax attorney. Oh, okay, well, I guess I better do that. And then something happens. You start to flow. Your rhythm comes back. Your energy comes back. And then, you know, your hope comes back of, of actually experiencing something great out there on race day. This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6x6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from Almost Heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have a sauna experience, the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures. Get that sweat going. These are beautiful, traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks, go in there and relax. It's become a social centerpiece at my home. People traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs. And pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Shed Talks. Mark Allen, this is a historic day. I'm here with Brad Kearns. We are doing the first live interview. Live interview. Two people, not just me talking to you, but the two of us talking to each other. Brad is somebody I've known for years. We race against each other for many years in triathlon. Our, our, our lives have run parallel to each other. Now we do a lot of stuff that's talking about health and lifestyle and fitness and turning and turning sport into something that actually can enrich your life and help you live a longer life. Brad does the Get Over Yourself podcast. And so he is actually going to be, he's going to be the guy today. He's going to be heading this. It's going to be his first live Get Over Yourself podcast video thing coming to you from the shed in Santa Cruz. So ladies and gentlemen, Brad Kearns, yeah. What a great intro. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> this is the first uh, Get Over Yourself live interview on Shed Talks. So look up Shed Talks if you're listening on the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is a syndicated event here, historic. And you can see Mark in his shed on YouTube, killing it. I just enjoyed your previous recap of the Kona Hawaii Ironman World Championships and all the other great stuff on Shed Talks. I'm glad to be in the shed. What an honor. You know, yeah. I, I put this together about a year ago because I, I love having the opportunity to, to actually talk to people and have it on video. It's, you know, you're not reading something. It's kind of mm. hopefully entertaining. Set up my shed so that all I have to do is turn on the lights, put on the microphone, and away I go. I love it. Um, it's a nice place for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine surfboards, people. Maybe you can pan over there with your, your B-roll skills. Your, your editing skills. Yeah, you're, you're going to see those surfboards. You know, your shed is where, where you store all your stuff that you like to use to have great experiences in life, yeah. whether it's your 
your, your, your bikes, your surfboards, maybe you're a creative person and you have all your art supplies set up and it's where, where you can go into your space and you can just get something that helps you create a, a really good experience of yourself, of life. And so I have my surfboards. I don't know what you have in your shed these days. I heard uh, you got a lot of golf clubs. Uh, not as many as the average golfer since I play speed golf, and it's the greatest sport in the world. You just teed me up, so we're going to talk about it. The listeners of Get Over Yourself podcast maybe are uh, well-versed by now, uh, but we, we, we have a, a time and a score, and you add those together, so you're actually running through the course. It's a fitness activity rather than regular golf, and so I only take half the clubs that a, a pro might carry. And by the way, if you're not a pro... You don't need that many clubs because you're not that good at hitting any of them. <laughs> so that's another good thing about speed golf is we have five or six clubs. It's plenty. Yeah. So yeah, lug them around. How did you go yeah. from a triathlete, endurance athlete to, to speed golf? I mean, that seems like opposite sides of the universe. Yeah. I mean, the, the triathlon thing was pretty much, uh, it was like flooring the gas pedal and seeing how fast your car could go. There wasn't a lot of nuance to it mm-hmm. in terms of the technique. And even the mental part of uh, of golf, where you have to, you know, uh, let go of uh, you know failures in the moment, and then try to hit a good shot next, and try not to, you know, get your emotions out of control. And I, I don't know, maybe you'll offer different uh, uh, commentary, but like in triathlon, if you were falling behind or you had a crappy swim, you just floor the gas pedal, and you just get that competitive intensity riled up. And that was kind of the main, that was kind of the main thing we had, the main power mm-hmm. that we had. Training, big different story. I love. I'm going to get you talking about all the all the nuances of training and um, having the proper perspective about long term progress in the sport. But I think on race day, it's like it's not the guy whose whose bike pedaling technique is superior to the other guy's pedaling technique. More or less, it's just who can hit it hard. Oh my gosh! But speed golf is it's the ultimate Zen sport. Mm-hmm. Talking here to the Zen master, you would love it, man, because you're. You're, you're forced to get out of the uh, analytical mind mm-hmm. and just react to what's in front of you. And a golfer is the opposite. You're sitting there waiting to hit your shot. People are talking crap into your brain. It's pretty windy today, I noticed. Maybe you'll want to take a... It's kind of uphill, you know, and all these ideas are coming in, getting away from that natural, intuitive, athletic instinct where you grab a club, like a kid would maybe grab a club and swing and try to aim it at the target. And so... The great professional teachers of golf want you to tone down all that busy brain and just be there in the moment and hit the shot. And then uh, control your emotions in case you hit a bad shot or a good shot even. Sometimes that'll derail you. So we're going so fast in speed golf, you don't even remember (laughs) the last shot. You're just there. Here's a shot. Here's my target. I might not have the right club, but this is the closest one. So I, I take less than the full hard swing. And so it's it's very flowing experience where you're just you know moving through a golf course unlike you've ever done in regular time. And guess what happens to almost every participant in these tournaments? They play as good or better hmm. than when they're spending five hours out there with all their clubs and their hmm. caddy giving them all the information. And now they have the GPS things where you look through the scope and it says 147 yards. <laughs> like oh, you know, it matters to the pros on TV. Tiger's got 147. There's a slight right to left tailwind, <laughs> so he's going to curve that shot into the back pin position. But most people, it's like grab the freaking club, hurry up and hit it. Yeah. So that's what I like about it is that uh, that that chance to tap into your your natural athletic ability, your intuition, and then the fitness component. So. Yeah, you got to be in shape. Otherwise, you're going to get tired and worn out. The bag's going to feel really heavy. You're going to hit bad shots at the end. So you got to stay strong and run. It's like 5.5 miles, let's say, a regular 18-hole golf course, and then hit good scores because a minute and a stroke are the same. And so if you carelessly miss a short putt, you, you know, that's a minute of running. And I can run an entire hole in a 350-yard par 4 in a minute. So it's very much golf-oriented. And then you got to be in shape. So what, what yeah. pace are you running when you're, uh, when you're going? It's for me, like anaerobic threshold. I am there. <laughs> the, the, my heart's in my throat. I'm heaving. Yeah. And then some of the better players, because I'm not, I'm not a subpar player anyway. So for me to hurry up a little faster and I have the conditioning, I just do it. Mm-hmm. But some of these guys will, will, will stay calm. They'll catch their breath and then they'll knock it close to the pin. But I'm like, you know, I, I got to keep up. Plus I'm, you know, I'm an old guy now. So. 
these young bucks. We have the national NCAA Division Three champion, Mac McLean, uh, mm. out there running. Bernard Legat has played a long time. Um, and Nick Willis is one of the top speed golfers in the world. He's one of the fastest men in the world, the oldest uh, medalist in the history of the 1500 in the Olympics. He got the bronze in mm. uh, 2016 in Rio, still going strong. He won the Fifth Avenue Mile for the fifth time, I think. So he does this as a diversion, but he's a good player. He can shoot in the 80s, and he's running pretty fast <laughs> compared to uh, retired triathletes out there just trying to trying to keep keep two feet in the air in case pictures are taken. You know? Yeah, that's that's the reason why I don't do it because pictures could be taken, and I don't. I, I just don't have that eye hand coordination. I can I could keep my brain as quiet as the best of them, but there, mm. it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. But it's interesting what you said about, you know, when you have to be quiet when you're doing that as a way to access that that subtlety or that nuance that you need. It was actually the same thing for me when I raced. You know, mm. when when things weren't going right, of course, you know, my brain was saying it's too hot, it's too windy, you know, Dave Scott pu is pulling away or whatever it is. I had to get my mind to be quiet. And then the answer would come of what I had to do next. And sometimes it was to just relax, get into that flow, and then I was able to go harder. So I, I think the space you have to get into is the same, but what you will be able to do with that space is going to be very sport-specific. Mm. You know, in golf, clearly, you have to be able to nuance. You can't just hit it harder and harder, otherwise, you know, whoop, four, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and in triathlon, you... Yeah, you can you can work you can work a little bit, bring your mechanics back, but it might be something where you have to really just rededicate your your commitment to doing something that in the moment can sound completely impossible to accomplish. You know that dream you said after, so whew, you find that quiet space, and then something happens. You start to flow, your rhythm comes back, your energy comes back, and then you know, your hope comes back of, of actually experiencing something great out there on race day. And I know that this is something that you've talked a lot about on, on your podcast is turning sport from sport into something that's really a great experience. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Oh, you mean outside of sport and, and taking those those valuable lessons and doing something with them? Yeah. Yeah, it's a favorite topic, I think, should be of, of any athlete to see, you know, what you know how you can make your life better from especially like we did dedicating so much time and energy to training so hard and you know there wasn't a huge payoff like some guy in the NBA who's got a really good reason to keep working on his jumper because he's going to sign a 72 million dollar contract mm -hmm. but you know we were sort of in this grassroots sport we we're doing it for the the passion of competition and personal betterment and gee I mean I think the same for kids then they're competing in high school sports and bashing their brains out in football I'm, I'm, I'm thumbs down on the sport sorry observers but uh, mm. we're, it's going to have to go away pretty soon because it, the, 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 pay, the, the price to pay mm. at NFL level and all the levels below is too much we're like watching gladiators we're, we've gone back 2,000 years in our culture so we got to figure out a new sport or a modified sport so people aren't smashing their brains up but everyone talks about the high school football experience is the shaping character of the life. And yeah, my t my coach was super tough, but he made me, you know, learn about discipline and all those things. And that's, you know, if you can pull something like that out of it, then it's it can can count as a positive experience. Mm. We see a lot of athletes um, struggle with that, right? They just get self-absorbed. They go through life thinking that they're uh, something something special because they are on the athletic field, but they can't cope with real life. So they're not making that connection very well. Mm -hmm. um, so what I've tried to do, and that's why I named my podcast Get Over Yourself, is because when I was racing, that was like my number one objective to where I could access what you just described. And when I was too self-important, too serious, too driven, too competitive, mm -hmm. uh, too emotional about uh, whether whether I got the cover shot or Mark Allen got it again, Mark <laughs> Allen got it again. Uh, these kind of things throw you so far off from not only being the best you could be competing, mm -hmm. but also that you're not you're not learning the lesson you're supposed to learn. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a a college student stressing about grades because they're going to apply to law school. And so they have to grab every single grade instead of sitting back and enjoying the class and mm. uh, studying for the pure passion of studying instead of angling for what extra credit can I do and just turn it in and not really connect to it. That was me, as a matter of fact. I was going through UCSB, and I thought I was going to go to law school next. Wow. Yeah. And so looking back, and I majored in 
business econ with accounting emphasis. Because if you get a CPA and a law degree together, you make the most money of any attorney, the tax attorney. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I better do that. And, um, oh yeah, it came time to apply for law school. And I had pretty good grades and I took the test and I did well. And then the, the application came from UCLA and said, uh, please provide two uh, professor recommendations with your application. And I had never met or spoken to any <laughs> professor in three years at UCSB. I just went in the back and I, mm -hmm. I read the notes really well, but I, I was not engaged. And I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? I got a dead end here. So I went over to Professor Morgan's office and I said, uh, I know you don't know me, but here's my transcript and I got an A plus in Econ 2 and also an A in Business Law. Would you like write me a letter of recommendation for, for UCLA Law School? He goes, UCLA? That's where I went. He goes, I'd be happy to write you a glowing recommendation. He goes, but I want to ask you one question. Take your time. Don't answer right away. Okay? Come back tomorrow. Take your time. Here's the question. Are you passionate about the law? And I go, well, uh, uh, and he's like, don't answer now. Take your time. Take your time. He goes, if you're passionate about the law, I will write you a glowing recommendation. You'll be in there. I see your numbers. You're looking good. He goes, if you're not, you're going to get your ass kicked in law school and it's going to mm -hmm. suck mm -hmm. in, in whatever words he used. And I walked out of that room, went back to my apartment, took the application, threw it in the garbage can. And that was like a beautiful turning point in life for me because it's like, you know, if you're doing something for a reason other than passion and that's your calling and the highest expression of your talents, you might be able to punch through for 10 years, 20 years, whatever, but it's it's going to be a big mistake. I mean, what else can... Hopefully our, our children will be watching this video. I know my son watches <laughs> everything I put out, right, Jeff? Uh, oh, Matt? Hey, man. How's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gainswave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainswave from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gainswave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit Gainswave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Huh? Oh. But what else can you share with your kid besides yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, sharing that passion. You know, when I, when I raced, clearly that was, that was a passion. At the same time, it wasn't my whole identity, you know, and so I think it, it helped keep that in balance in the sense that once, once the racing was over, it wasn't like I fell off a cliff and went into, into obsolescence, yeah. you know, because I, I saw that... Life is about sport for me, for sure. I put a lot of energy into it. You know, 15 years as a triathlete, it was very important to me. I, I tried to give everything I could. But ultimately, for me, sport was just a way to learn about life in oh. a very intense way, of course. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day training taught me those things like, you know, just being willing to do the the small, simple, inglorious things over and over and over and over that lead to 
to yeah. great experiences or, or, or great results, but they also become like a practice of just perfecting how you do that one thing. And you know, this I, I heard this great great quote a little bit ago. It, was, it said, "How you do one, how you do something is how you do everything." You know, and so wow. e even as simple as like, okay, do you just leave the dishes half done in the yeah. sink, or do you actually put them all in the dishwasher, or put them all away, or whatever it is? Yeah. And, and it's like you can't go from one way of operating that's maybe not quite fully complete, and then all of a sudden get into a situation where you need to be complete with your with your application of yourself and find that wow. ability. You know, yeah. it, it's even as simple as. Being happy, I mean, it's good to practice being happy, right? Uh -huh. You know, be with family and friends and community members and training partners and surf buddies and your children and your parents and your grandparents and just have a good time, you know, and enjoy life and, and put all the, the worries and troubles aside and, and laugh and joke. And, and the more we do that, I think that's more our go-to default way mm. that we are. And the, and the same with um, whether it's athletic performance you know, succeeding in business. It's like just stepping back and being being uh, willing to surrender to doing those simple, small things over and over and over right. that build the foundation of something great that eventually transform our lives. Like, I mean, think about running. It does not get any more simple than that. You put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other. And balanced over your center of gravity with a nice explosive <laughs> dorsiflex foot when you take off the ground. Yes. Of course. But over time, if you do that thousands and thousands of times, it will completely transform your physical health, how you relate to being outside and running on trails, how you know, it'll give you clarity of mind, longevity, all those things. And so, you know, for me that was one of the simple foundational blocks of if you want to call it success, but more just having a great experience. I love that doing that over and over and over thing yeah. of swimming, cycling, running. And each time you do it, you don't see breakthroughs. But every now and then something comes, it's like, oh yeah, uh -huh. that was good. Now it clicked a little bit more. And you're on a different level. And you keep going like that year after year. Hopefully year after year. You know, you've you've really um, sort of dedicated yourself to helping people be healthier as they go through life. You're 54 at this point, right? Which is like, <sighs> That's dude, you'd better give it up. Way older ancient. than all these guys. Yeah. Jeez. So maybe you can just, uh, you know, give us a, a, a synopsis of, you know, what are some of the things you do now that are you, you know are going to help you have amazing years in your 60s, amazing years in your 70s, and, and beyond that, hopefully? Well, we sleep a lot, as we were talking about <laughs> off camera. Not Mark together, Allen, not together. Right, right. He's my inspiration because I don't know if it was like an interview or something and you, you put it out there like I sleep nine to ten hours a night and I'm like, I feel so like guilty or, or insufficient because I, I just always required so much sleep. And geez, when I was when I was training racing, I was sleeping ten every night and I'd take an afternoon nap for two hours. And then I'm uh, you get a pen and paper out and go, well, shit, that's that's twelve hours. And that's that was so my my career of nine years, half my life I was asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it came back, you know, when you have little kids <laughs> running around. So I, I got that severely cut back. But um, the, you know, the importance of having that foundation is is so big. And then, geez, I'll pull something out of that nice uh, account you just gave, like that practice of of being happy, mm. where you know you put yourself into <clears throat> happiness promoting situations. Um, one of my biggest concerns for health these days, like almost my obsession now, is this how this hyperconnectivity is destroying uh, our potential for happiness, our potential for productivity, and all those things. Mm. Because you see people disengaged constantly, and um, it's it's now now the device is right here. We can disengage anytime, any place from what's going on around us, whether it's standard in line at the bank or. Uh, being in an airplane, I remember I used to I used to fly home from the races with the number still pinned on my arm, and there would be usually a conversation like, "What's that? You know, did you mm -hmm. escape from jail? Ha ha, or something?" And I'd say, <laughs> "Oh, I did this triathlon thing where we're swimming and we have our number," and you end up having you know long conversations with humans on the planet. And now it's like everybody's everybody's dialed in, and mm -hmm. you know we know those stats about social media and the destructive effects of comparison and artificially created lives and you know just sets you up for sadness instead of 
enjoying the the simpleness of life. So, I mean, that's that's a big one. So I, I mentioned sleep, and then trying to manage this uh, penchant for hyperconnectivity. Mm. Whew, it's tough. I mean. I talk about it on the podcast a lot. I do a whole show dedicated to it, and then I'm sitting down trying to write a book, and my email window is still open in my inbox. And you know, there's research that when we see something fresh and novel in our environment, we get a dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So when the text message dings mm-hmm. and it's sitting there, you're going to reach for it. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to this mindfulness expert, uh, Dr. Alicia Goldstein, in LA on the show, and he was talking about how um, you know we, the, the ding causes the dopamine hit. And I'm while he's talking, I'm like forming this thought of how how proud I am that I've turned off every single notification <laughs> or ding on my phone. Mm-hmm. I just I can't deal. I just you know mm-hmm. except for a ringing phone. So text nothing, no update on the score of the game because I don't want to know because I taped it. You know none of that. And he goes yeah. He goes, yeah, and those people that turn off all their notifications, he goes, that could be really bad because they're constantly reaching for it because maybe someone texted them, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, shit, dude, what? <laughs> you, you got me, you know? And I realized, um, well, the stats are the average person reaches for their phone 150 times per day. I'm way above average then. <laughs> I'm way above average. Yeah, and um, 84% of us reach for the phone First thing in the morning, mm. uh, this doctor, Doctor, uh, I forgot her last name. She's you know a behavior psychologist, and she says once you reach for that phone, you're putting your brain into reactive mode because you're reacting to something mm. rather than that peak performance state of uh, uh, proactive, uh, mindful, uh, strategic, high level reasoning and planning, which is a great thing maybe to do at the start of your day. Like, mm. what's my to do list today? What are my priorities? Let's see. But as soon as you grab that. You're, you're baking your brain in another direction. And she said, quote, it's impossible to recover from reactive mode because it's such a compelling pull. And mm-hmm. then we're down that road. So one of the things I do, it's my, I got a video. It's um, Brad Kern's morning routine. And I'm doing my leg stretches and hamstring raises and core exercises. And I just make a point of doing that as soon as I wake up. So I have the video filming me on the ground next to my bed. Before I get up and go anywhere or do anything else, reach for my phone, I do this thing. I thought it was five minutes. I go, I do this five-minute routine. Try it. It's only five minutes. And we filmed the whole thing, and it was 12. Oh, wow. I'm like, wow, man, it's 12. Mm. Okay. So you want to start with five minutes? Just do something. could be the sun salute. You know, raise, mm. lower, compress, mm. do this, do that. And that means that you're in control of your life. And it's, it has a profound impact, even if you think it's silly. There was a best-selling book, Make Your Bed, by the general in the Army. And he says, if you make your bed, just like you said, you do everything how you do some things. And... Um, I don't know. I could you could probably discount stuff like that, but if it's, if it adds up and accumulates, and you realize like with the dishes, yeah, what this guy does is he does two thirds of them, and then he makes an excuse. And so, how does that play out into all other mm-hmm. areas of your life? Mm-hmm. It's big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when I get up in the morning, I as many of you know, I, I have studied shamanism with Brant Secunda for. Actually, thirty years now, <laughs> and uh, he has a foundation dance of the deer. I didn't foundation. know it was that old. Yeah, amazing, huh? So anyway, um, you know, I in the very first thing when I get out, out of bed are some of the the Weichol practices uh, that just Weichols, sp- the Indians, uh, yeah, the, the natives, Weichol yeah. people. They're they're from uh, central Mexico. They have a very rich spiritual tr- tradition that is based in in connecting with nature, connecting with community, learning to quiet your mind and mm-hmm. they have they do beautiful ceremonies for all the seasons they they live a very traditional lifestyle you know for them the weechels if you don't live to be 80 or 90 they think you did something wrong <laughs> you know and they have so many people who are 90 100 100 years old brant's uh teacher his grandfather don jose lived to be 110 years old and he was really good up until the last did he have kaiser or a good plan or? you know he had he was connected to the source you know and, and that really kept him strong. He was a great shaman also. Anyway, so I just do these very simple practices that, like you said, they take 5, 10, 15 minutes, however much time I I put into it. And it feels like it just brings me into the day in a way that's, it's, that's almost, um, that is, that is centering in the sense that when I do then go to my computer and my phone, I, I, I am reactive, but it's, I'm a little, it's like I've got a, a, f- a little filter there, so you know, I'll, I'll I'll look through stuff and I'll take care of it, and then I'll go surf, 
Or, or I'll go run or do yeah. something physical. And yeah. then that's a second disconnect from the reactivity. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that, uh, that, you know, there's a whole science behind it. It's, I guess it's kind of like how a lot of the stuff in my career came about. I just sort of stumbled into doing things a certain way. And now I'm seeing, you know, through science and everything that it was actually pretty smart, I guess. I don't know. You're talking about your training, your, your racing Tra- career? Or? Yeah, training yeah. career, racing career. And, and even, you know, so, something as simple like I do, like you do in the morning, to not become a reactive human from, you know, the first breath of life every day. It's crazy. Uh, so, so back then, I mean, we were, we were starting before the age of technology. Um, the heart rate monitor came in probably halfway through our careers. Before that, there was, I don't think, anything. Maybe a speedometer on Stop, the bike. Stopwatch. Right. For the track. Yeah, yeah. Right. So... Tell me about that. Like, how how did you adopt some of those early technologies? I know the heart rate was a huge thing for for you, and, and thankfully you shared with me how important that was. Remember when I cornered you in 1988 in um, Desert Princess? I don't in the, in the transition area. So <laughs> I had been pushing my body so hard and training with my heart and soul, and wanting so bad to to cross that finish line as fast as possible. Maybe bag some wins and just be up there with the top top guys and I had another race where I was just behind what I expected to be. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm in like near tears, you know, just wondering, like, I try so hard, what's going on? And I like got you into the corner where there was a fence and the flag so you couldn't leave. And I'm like, Mark, what the hell's going on? Like, what do you do to, to you know, to, to get to that next level? Because I'm trying everything and I'm a good athlete and I'm, I'm willing to do whatever. And you said, slow the F down and get yourself a heart rate monitor and listen to this Maffetone guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you turn the corner and realize, like, if you slow down, you will actually go faster on the race course. You explained it very, very uh, compellingly mm-hmm. at that time. And that, you know, that kind of, Pig says the same thing. It added five years to his career or something. And I feel like my breakthrough occurred when I just quit destroying my body with these high-stress workouts, thinking that was the path to success. But there's a lot of balance there, right? I mean, um, how do you how do you manage it you, all? You know, I the I, secret to training and winning triathlon, Mark Allen. Here we go. It's going to take about two minutes. Okay, so yeah, it's up. really simple. Just be smart. <laughs> I mean, human human beings are the are the best endurance athletes on the planet. You know, we can run farther at a steady pace at a quicker pace than any any other other animal. I mean, look at if you look at the record for the Western States 100 for people and then for horses. The, the people time is actually mm. faster. I mean, there might be some logistical reasons yeah. for that, but clearly we're meant to just be slow and steady. However, we also have that physiology that that can go fast, like to get out of the way of danger or to really utilize just every muscle in our body when we're lifting and carrying, you know, loads of stuff. I mean, I, I've been down to the the Weechel Village a number of times with Brant and, you know, Here's these people who are living a very traditional lifestyle. They don't have all of the things that can get in the way of happiness, right? They're very happy. They're very strong, physically strong people, even mm-hmm. though they're, they're small. Mm-hmm. They walk, you know, up and down their hillsides to, for their, to, you know, growing their corn to get gather water at the springs. They carry loads of wood for the fire that, that they cook on that, that, that's their ceremonial fire. So they're always moving. They're steadily moving. You know, they're carrying heavy loads, so they're working their muscles, they're working their core. They, they have this absolutely incredible posture. You know, they, they wear flat sandals at best. You know, right. a, a lot of them just, you know, they don't like that. They just want their feet on the ground. Wow. And uh, so anyway, so everything that I try to, tried to do in my training and that I try to do now is to sort of mimic that natural rhythm of things. You know, doing most of my stuff fairly steady, not pushing myself too hard. Once in a while, I will do something hard, doing something that engages, you know, a a lot of muscles all at one time, lifting something, getting enough sleep, uh, disconnecting, because when I'm connected, it's like you said, you get this dopamine response. Your brain, it's like, you know, social media is like crack for your brain. You know, you just want more and more and more and more and more. Simple as that. Drop the mic. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I take a quick nap. Yeah. Oh, those work. You know the the girl that won the um, the big endurance race in uh, Utah, like 140 mile championship ultra event, and she killed everybody by hours. I forget her name, um, but she won uh, largely because she didn't stop 
she didn't need to sleep. And mm. her pacer, she reported after that she took a one-minute nap. And she woke up and she felt like, she said, how long was I asleep? And the pacer's like, one minute. And she thought it was like, um, you know, she slept <laughs> for an hour or something. And then just kept going. She felt great. Wow. Yeah. I think if you're sleep deprived, boy, that one minute or five <laughs> minute or 20 minute, you take naps as well as your long evening sleep pattern. Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm the king of the nap. I mean, really? I, can, I can just lay down, be in, in bed for maybe 20 minutes. Maybe I'm asleep for 5, 10, 15 of that. But it's just time to let my brain go like this. And then I have a like a real quick dream. And then I'm awake and I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. Second part of the day. Yeah. Let's go. You know, dolphins, yeah. I think they have some weird thing oh, where yeah. they can put half their brain to sleep and they sleep at like three or four seconds at a time. Yeah. 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 Awesome. awesome. Wow. Yeah. They're happy. Yeah. Dolphins are happy. I've seen them out in the ocean. Uh-huh. Yeah. They follow the, they go and follow the surfer and they're very smart. Yeah. Yeah. And they're way better on the waves than we are. They're right. Really, right. They're amazing. No problem. So I've always wanted to ask you, you know, you, you have, You've really done a lot of amazing things in business, working with nutrition, working with uh, diet, working with companies on their health, working now with your podcast that we're, we are on today, Get Over Yourself podcast. Um, what are some of the things that, that you, what are those nuggets that you learned from racing that have really helped you become who you are, Brad Kearns, in the world of business, in the world of health and fitness today? What are some of those things that just Whew. keep you on the keep you on the map, keep you going, inspire you? Yeah. Um, you didn't learn anything. Basically, forgot all that <laughs> and had to just start over. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you become so resilient from being in the athletic arena, and the lessons of success and failure are so graphic. Mm. And you know, uh, that was a huge compliment you paid me at the start of the show. Show because you said we we race against each other, and I think really we raced in the same races. But um, you know I wasn't there battling you too much. Kelowna one time we were in a pack on the run that was fun. Yeah, I tried to hang. So when you are you know brought to uh, your knees and you know forced to reckon with exactly who you are as the guy who got seventh place or the guy who got first place or whatever, um, there's no there's no like nuance or BS to it. And then the corporate environment or anywhere else where you're pitching something and you think this is the greatest book idea ever and nobody wants it and you get rejected or you make a mistake and you get you, you choose this job because it pays more than this one that sounds all those kind of things are just so muddled. But when you step out of the athletic experience and go into the real world, I think we have a you know a really strong sense of uh, of self. Hopefully not an arrogance, because if you're if you're arrogant, that means that um, you know you're disconnected from the reality that you know. Just because even if you won every single race and retired and no one ever beat you, it's still just one little thing. And mm -hmm. um, Laird Hamilton's a better surfer than you, and, and so on down the line. Mm -hmm. So I had that humility, I think, that I came out with. And luckily for me, like you, you know, you retired on top and went out with a bang, setting your fastest time right at your last Ironman. And then you just then you just walked. Well, the time was slow. It was a horrendous day, but it oh. was it was I think my best race because it was right the, mo the, guy, the yeah. most difficult one for me to win yeah. personally. But yeah, the guy was 13 minutes ahead, and you yeah. just mowed him down. Crazy. Well, I didn't yeah. quite exactly mow him, but I, just, I, just I, I that did catch a gradual him. thing. <laughs> That's probably the only. I mean, the only way to catch someone 13 minutes ahead is to go 30 seconds a mile and take it out of him, right? Yeah, you, you're if not you flew after him yeah. and took a minute a mile. Yeah, you blow. I blow. Yeah. Um, so good for me was that I had some really good heights where I was racing really well and winning the races and uh, doing everything I, I dreamed. And then I was also getting my ass kicked. And so the, the getting the ass kicked kind of coincided with, with my decision to retire. So it worked out really well because I didn't have any unfinished business or notions that I was uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hot Shit that, you know, was um, immune to failure. And then if you have that, you know, resilience, then you go through life and real life's tough. I mean, you know, I had to start over at age 30 when my peers had been going to, uh, you know, professional schools and getting advanced degrees and progressing with their careers. And now I'm out bumming for a job. And so um, it's I think that's for anybody to have, um, you know, struggles and challenges and then have to start over and recalibrate. I think that's what makes you. You know, that's what makes life rich experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, right before I retired, I I was sponsored by Nike during my whole career, and so of course, Nike's had a lot of world class folks in their stable. And I asked my my main contact at Nike. I said, "What's what's the biggest thing you saw as a challenge for those people who were you know really good at their sport when they leave?" And he said. The single biggest challenge is that when they go from the top of the world into the next thing, they are never starting at the top. You're going to start <laughs> somewhere way down at the bottom. You're going to be in the mailroom. You know, you're going to be yeah. in the basement. You're going to be the bo- the guy taping the boxes, not creating the the nickets and nackets that go inside of it. And so I was mentally, I was uh, personally, I felt like I was really prepared to just be okay. Whatever's next, especially when I start out. I am not going to be good at it, and so, mm. and e- but even with that, <laughs> it was hard. You know, it was it was really hard. Not not because I felt like I was owed being good. It's just that I like to feel a certain proficiency at something. Yeah. You know, and so it it took it also took me a number of years to kind of get my rhythm with my coaching, get my rhythm with with corporate speaking, get my rhythm with. How do I stay connected with the sport, actually, that I was such a big part of for many years? Mm. And, um, you know, it all, eventually it all kind of distilled back to, uh, you know, two things. I kind of tried to place sort of that vision of where do I want to go with this, whether Mm. it's my coaching or my speaking. That's sort of like the goal part, and that's Mm -hmm. sort of a little more concrete, but the real thing that kept me going through all the, the, the years and, and even today is to ask myself, wh- what is the purpose of this in my life? Why am I doing this? Why am I showing up at the office every day? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a goal and a purpose are two different things. So mm-hmm. it's like, I want to win the Ironman, but what's what am I trying to get out of those day-to-day experiences of swimming, biking, and running? What am I trying to... How How, how can my life be enriched by coaching day after day after day or going and giving these talks over and over and over and over what what is it about me and and uh you know i just i saw that it's it's just a great way to just like you said let go surrender don't be a big shot uh-huh. every time you do something just do it like, as innocent as a child you know and just say okay Maybe today's not the best day in the world, but let me see if I can get 100% out of this mediocre day. And it's like, okay, it started out mediocre, but it got a little better than mediocre by the end. And that is, that's like empowering. I don't know if it is for you, but you know, you know those little small successes that nobody sees? Yeah. Those are some of the greatest yeah. ones. I, uh, Joe Rogan said uh, the, uh, a cure for depression is to find something you suck at and try to get better. Mm. Yeah. And I think... <laughs> um, those those challenges. I, I was really impressed how you took on this speaking challenge because it's so difficult. I don't know if I saw you speak. Oh, I saw you speak when you were an athlete, which is you know a different realm than mm-hmm. when you you really got uh, into that into that focus and prepared a a corporate type of message to to go out there and hit the street. And you know your your great victories on the race course had no relevance or preparation for that. Mm-hmm. It was just like you know. You weren't up there showing highlights of how far ahead you were off the bike. It was like a whole other realm that you had to start from scratch, really, mm. and then be able to leverage. You know, I mean, you had something to, a story to tell. So I think it, you know, it made a bigger contribution than the guy who crosses the line, takes the home the first place check, and goes home, and then goes and trains for another race. You know, and in many ways, the triathlon is a pretty selfish sport because it's so time-consuming and it's an individual sport, it's not a team sport. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, what do you do with that? It's like that was a, that was a positive direction, I think. Same. With- I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near-infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes, and there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation. 
where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Coaching, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Get Over Yourself podcast, you've had a lot of cool people on. Who, who, who've been some of your favorites? Aside oh, from, you know... <laughs> Uh, no, just kidding. Yeah, so far, Mark <laughs> Allen and Dave Scott uh, that just aired uh, just before we're recording this one, and that was cool because, uh, like I said off camera, like in real time when you guys were racers, when I was a racer with you at the same time, it was just um, there wasn't a lot of nuance. We didn't really understand deeply what you were all about or what was going the challenges going through your mind. It was just like, what's this guy's time going to be? Is he going to win again or is he going to come second? And um, same with Dave, like he shared a lot of personal things where, you know, he said, quote unquote, basket case during his racing career. And it's like, wait a second, Dave mm-hmm. Scott said he was a basket case during his racing career. He was his nickname was the man. The man was a basket case. That doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, but to be vulnerable. OK, it's 30 years later. It's time to dust off the yeah. dust off the man and see what's really underneath. Yeah. That's that's cool. And so that was a that was a great show. And I think I think Zagarino for setting that up. But. Um, you know, now you can connect with all the current racers and people that are interested at a much deeper level. And um, so those kind of things is what's great about podcasts. Because in the old days, uh, an important person would go on the Today Show and here's Michael Phelps. He just won a bunch of gold medals. Not like Michael Phelps is struggling with alcohol addiction and he's in rehab and reevaluating his whole life and his relationship with his coach. And his, you know, it's just like, how was it? Well, it's freaking awesome, man. <laughs> I, 23 world records. I can't even believe it. And that's all we saw. And then the, then the segment's over. Yeah. And it's gone. That was our whole life until the internet started to explode and you can start to, you know, read and get to know these people. Mm-hmm. So especially with podcasting where, you know, you're trying to take it in a different direction, dig a little deeper. And for me, like the privilege of just sitting with my guests and I, I, I forced Sisson at gunpoint to sit down for one of the early shows. And I said, oh, by the way, this is going to be the ultimate Mark Sisson interview. You don't know Mark Sisson. He's my longtime sidekick and leader of the primal paleo movement. And um, he's talked, you can probably find him on 300 podcasts mm-hmm. talking about don't eat grains, don't eat sugar, uh, get more sleep. But we sat down and we went through his childhood and his entrepreneurial journey and all the fits and starts and, you know, got to know him in a way that no one ever had before at any other podcast where he's hitting his talking points. Mm. So that was cool. And then this guy, John Gray, the number one best-selling relationship author of all time, Mm -hmm. Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. He wrote that 26 years ago and he's had a run of uh, more relationship advice than anyone ever. And he graciously gave his time to, you know, a, a nobody like me. I hit him up with an impassioned plea. And he's like, sure, yeah, let's talk. So I got this guy on Skype. And, like, he has a wind-up 
key on the back, and I just wound this guy up, and he was <laughs> awesome. And he wow. gave these insights that are just life changing when it comes to like how to be in a partnership and the hormonal underpinnings behind relationship dynamics. So the male is like biologically wired to be a certain way. Male wants to solve problems, be the hero, take care of everything, uh, you know, be, be strong and, uh, and, and cool under pressure. And the female's wired for love, connection, nurturing, all these different things. And now the roles are all blended together mm -hmm. and we want the males mm -hmm. to be honest and vulnerable and sensitive and we want the female to go kick ass in the workplace and then come home and be nurturing and all these things. And so relationships have blown up accordingly per his theory. And so he gave these, uh, I'll, I'll keep it short, but he, like, he gave the assignment to today's male and today's female in a relationship. And for the males, he's like, we don't need your soft, sensitive, you know, spewing bitchy boy uh, commentary. <laughs> he goes, if you got a negative emotional charge, shut the F up and go off and do testosterone boosting activities. Because when you're feeling cranky, emotional, and uh, out of sorts, that's your sign of depleted testosterone, depleted mm -hmm. male essence. Mm -hmm. You need to go catch some freaking waves and come back to the house feeling calm and chill or watch the Raiders on TV, or tinker with your motorcycle, whatever it is. But don't engage with a female saying, well, my feelings were hurt at the party when you, you and Darren were over there for so long. <laughs> he goes, that will kill a relationship. Mm -hmm. But we've been socialized differently. Like, there's a lot of voices out there saying, like, speak your truth, share your feelings. But this guy's point made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. Because it's you, you never feel better. Maybe, I don't know, some guys do, but... You don't feel better when you like break it down and get emotional and get down draining conversations. You just have to be, he wants the male to be the Bruce Lee in the story, the, the Kung Fu master, where you just, your emotions are level, you're taking control. Mm. The female, the male's primary biological drive is to protect the female from danger, dating back to ancient times. He goes, the number one danger for the female today is the male's anger, mm. not, the, not the saber-toothed cat. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And wow. so you sit back and you're like, wow, yeah. And um, then he's describing, you know, the ideal female role in the relationship. And like at the end of the show, I, I was just overcome. Like he, he cracked at one point because, you know, he's talking about. So the female and the male, you know, a lot of these arguments can end well in the bedroom. And he's going on and then he, and he starts like cracking. And I'm like, I'm watching him on the Skype camera. I'm like, you okay? He goes, you know, some of this stuff's hard to talk about because I lost my wife, Bonnie, to cancer uh, 33 years and uh, last year, so it's pretty tough. Ask me a different question. I'm like, mm. well, John, as you say in the wow. uh, household chores, you know. <laughs> uh, but to, to hear this guy who's been America's relationship expert, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if you read his books, there's always the theme, like Bonnie and I this and Bonnie and I that, and now, you know, she's gone. And I have this wonderful partner, Mia Moore is her nickname. She's on my show. There's a few shows of that. And like, uh, I was so taken by the interview, I proposed to her the next night at the airport baggage claim mm -hmm. because I think he, he was describing the ideal female partner. And I'm like, wow, what, you know, what am I waiting for? Mm -hmm. It was great. So that was one of my favorite shows. That's oh, we forgot the female assignment. Yeah, what was it? The female assignment is to never express anything as a complaint because even the most minor complaint or nitpicking like, hey, done with this? You want me to wash it? You know, even the mi most minor thing will drain the male of his desire to be the, the hero in the story. Mm. And so you can go uh, do the gardening and landscaping for three hours and work your butt off and then come in and leave a dirty plate. And the female goes, so uh, you're going to put that plate in the dishwasher and it'll like deplete all the significance of you trying to be the hero and get credit for the other thing. So if the female expresses everything as a preference, that is your key to getting this guy willing to do anything to be the hero in the story. Mm. It's like, oh my God, I love when you clean up the kitchen. You rocked. It's perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's the best feeling in the morning when you clean up at night. And the guy's like, sure, anytime. You know? mm -hmm. And then you, you go down that path instead of the, the constant conflict that we're so familiar with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Brant has often said to me that um, uh, there's a, a holy man who... who has passed Sai Baba and he said that marriage is the most difficult spiritual path of all. And, wow. You know, it's kind it's of... The holy man says that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting interesting concept, you know, that relationships... I'll, I'll have to watch that one. I've or listened to that one. I just listened to the one he did with Scott Zagarino uh, actually a couple nights ago. Great stuff. I mean, I just love how you take whatever... You know, core concept that you're, you know, this person is good at and what they're talking about and what they want 
and you're interested in finding out. But then you end up in all these other different areas that are really about, oh. about life and how, and eventually everything gets pulled full circle. I mean, Scott Zagarino is somebody that, he was in the sport for many years. He's my business partner in coaching, Mark Allen Coaching. We raced together with him. Yeah. You were awesome, Zag. And he actually, he's the one who got Dave and I together to really share our stories of the 1989 race. It's the 30-year anniversary this year. Um, as, as you know, as you highlighted on the podcast, we wrote uh, 10 stories, 1989thestory.com is where you can see them. And it's really both of us, like you said, just dusting off the armor and just, you know, bearing it, you know, bearing it all and showing you know, telling what it took for us to get there that year and what the challenges that we had. I mean, we have real lives. You know, we have challenges. We Contrary have, to many triathletes. Yeah, you know, people think, oh, we just programmed in these training sessions and we showed up and we just kicked ass. And, you know, we, we both had amazing moments in training. We had both had times where we completely struggled. And it's like, can I do this? Do I want to keep going? Is it worth it? You know, it, and really struggling with not only ourselves, but our relationship with sports, how sport fit into life, you know, all of those things. And, and that's, you know, the, the canvas is sport for Dave and I in 1989, but it's, it's the same for anybody, whether it's their work that's given them the challenge or something in their personal life, you know, that we all have to deal with those kind of things. <laughs> Nobody gets a hall pass from birth to death, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so anyway, <clears throat> I love that because uh, you guys really hit some amazing points. And I'm going to actually go back and, and listen to it because both you and Scott gave a couple just absolute nugget quotes. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to write them down. And I'll right send on. them to you and you can okay. put it up. But anyway, that that was a great one. He has so many great podcasts. Get Over Yourself podcast. Brad Kearns, which he, I'm going to share something here. Mm-hmm. I think he records it in his closet. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. So maybe mm-hmm. it should be the Brad Kern's Closet cast. Closet slash studio. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. You know, this shed that we're in here, it's it's a tiny little thing. It's uh, almost a record-breaking heat day here in Santa Cruz, so we actually have the door open because otherwise we would look like we're in a sauna and we, we you know, we have so much makeup on, we want to look pretty good throughout the whole thing. So anyway, um, <laughs> this has been amazing, Brad. Thank you. Fun stuff. Yeah. What's next? Uh, trying to break the world record in speed golf. Uh, and I broke it in 2018. They have a special record for the fastest single hole of golf ever played. Uh, so it's an offshoot of the sport where you're playing a tournament, you're playing 18 holes, you're keeping score. So this is like, who can do a par five? It has to be 500 yards. It can't be some little hole. So minimum 500 yards. Uh, and it doesn't matter even your score. It's just how, can, how fast can you get in the hole. And I was just f- playing around YouTube one day, and this dude in England had the Guinness World Record for the fastest hole of golf. Mm. And I watched it. I'm like, this is awesome. Wow, look at this guy. And his family, like, dog-piled him on the green. It's like this viral <laughs> video. You can find it. Steve Jeffs uh, setting the world record. And so, um, you know, I went out the next night on the golf course, and I'm like, you know, I can sprint. I still sprint. That's my main, you know, athletic mm-hmm. outlet mm-hmm. And, and golf. So I'm like, I can, I can bust this up right now. So I, I started my watch, and I ran pretty hard and played a really good hole. And I, I looked at my watch, and I was 22 seconds slow. His record was 150, and I did a 212 when I tried it. And so I realized that it was a really respectable performance. And I emailed him, and he was super nice. I'm like, dude, are you like an Olympic sprinter? Like, how did you do that hole that fast? I just went went for it, and I was way behind. He goes, I practiced that hole at least a thousand times, hmm. and I knew where to hit each shot, and I knew the green and where to put my ball so I'd have an easy putt instead of a hard putt. He goes, good luck to you, mate, you know? And so I applied just this rigorous process with Guinness. They're super stuffy, and you have to do this, and you have a 15-week approval period before you're allowed to try. And so I finally got the note, like, hey, go for it. Good mm-hmm. luck. And I'd been practicing and practicing and practicing. And so the journey was so fun because it brought me back into that, you know, that high-intensity period of our lives where you're just you know, dedicated. It wasn't like I was spending all day on it. So it was a beautiful fit into my normal everyday life of a 50 plus dude mm-hmm. but I still had something that was burning that that fire in me that I had a chance to break the Guinness World Record so um, you know it was a great experience I broke it I had like what I consider to be a perfect hole where I, I used the three wood only so I didn't have a bag so that saved me a lot of time 
and I just taught myself to play every shot with a three wood, including putting, including chipping, which is really tough. It took months of practice, mm. and I got a birdie on this hole. I just hit four perfect shots, stopped the clock. It was a minute 38, so I, I busted the record, and you know I'm making a big deal of it, of course, as, as, as much as I can. Now, some guy on the European PGA Tour broke it, he, you know, I hit the ball three miles yeah. and did, did, did. And so now I have, now I have a goal to go reclaim that record. But how I much, think that's, how much did he break your record by? Uh, he broke it by, uh, eight seconds or something. Yeah. Hmm. But I think, um, if I find a nice downhill hole, <laughs> I mean, I noticed this whole, like, how did he do that fast? And so I studied the video yeah. and the splits. Yeah. I mean, I'm breaking this thing down and I'm like, hmm. So he hit his drive 335, which is really good, you know, like the best in the world. <clears throat> and then the next shot, you know, so uh, I'm going to find the perfect hole, perfect day. But I think the reason I mention it is like, it just, it's, you got to have something to do in life. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to go out and charge the big waves this winter. Mm. And it's an important thing because it's not folly out there. It's not the wave park in, in Tucson. Mm -hmm. It's Santa Cruz, Steamer Lane, cold, dangerous sport. But it gives you, brings you to, you know, all of your peak performance senses. And if you, if you don't keep doing that through life, which I think is a big thing that we see today, is dudes watching the NFL for nine hours every weekend, mm -hmm. and you know, talking stories about how they were back in the day, like us, which we just did for an hour. So, if every, if my message can be like, go find something that's cool to do. And it can be silly. It doesn't matter. And I, I didn't have a huge check when I broke the record. I got a, I got a kiss from Mia Moore and my mom was cheering and my cousin and my son and my mm -hmm. best friends from childhood. It was a great day. <laughs> There's a YouTube video of it. Uh, but just something that gets you going and it means a lot to you. I think that's one of the, the secrets to life. And then going back to that first question, like, what do you take away from that racing thing is it was pretty fantastic to be on the, on the starting line of something that intense. And I want to just recapture that in little ways mm. for forever. You know, my dad was a golfer until he was uh, at the very end of his life. He was shooting in the 70s when he was 93, mm. 92. Wow. He shot a 76 at age 92. He was the best golfer in the world over 90. And um, he ended in uh, uh, May of this year. He made it 97 years, had a great life, mm. no pain, no suffering, peak performer all the way to the very end and then a nice quick decline and it's over and mm -hmm. so to like mm -hmm. model something like that where i remember when he was about to quit because he was getting tired he was sleeping all day he was an old man he was 95 and he played around the last round i ever played with him and he shot a 43 which if you don't know golf for nine holes it's pretty freaking good it's in the top two percentile of america to shoot you know in the 80s and he's driving home and he's like, I'm no damn good anymore. I'm going to quit the damn game. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, you shot a 40, you know, you're shooting bogeys on a golf course at this age. I go, that's absolutely fantastic. But to him, he mm. was so, you know, had such high standards mm -hmm. and such competitiveness, a quiet competitiveness like you on triathlon scene. You weren't out there blabbing mm. like some people at the press conference. But um, it was neat to see that, you know, it's okay to have that intensity and have that little flame. And, you know, he's, he's, he wanted to shoot better than that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, when I thought the whole speed golf thing, I thought it was like random. <laughs> now it makes sense. Dad, the friggin' best over 90 year old. Oh golfer my gosh. That, yeah. that, that's, that's a great story. You know, I, I, I also hope that there's always something that, that sparks me to do something that just completely engages every aspect of me, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You know, those I think those moments are really what that help your whole life gel into these small pockets that really are are rich. Whether mm. whether you end up with the result you want or, or not, to just get into that zone where everything that you are is required to be in it is really it's a cool thing, and, and it's it gives you that, that experience that you're never going to get if you're just hanging on the couch, <laughs> drinking another cold one, watching them guys bash each yeah. other up. And it's easy now. I mean, we're so bombarded with entertainment options to be a spectator in life mm -hmm. instead of go do something. Mm -hmm. It's like you got to like make plans and, and book it. I'm going to go mm -hmm. surf this morning. Otherwise, seven weeks go by and you mm -hmm. haven't been in. Yeah. So we would like to dedicate this podcast to being a participant. Okay. For you, we want you to be a participant. Uh, look to all of Brad's Get Over Yourself podcast. He's He's got a new book in the works, a lot of great stuff coming up. 
If you want to engage me in anything that will help you be a participant, markallencoaching.com for triathlon training, uh, Fit Soul, Fit Body, where you can mm. see information about workshops that Brant, Secunda, and I teach together, where we talk about the nine keys to a healthier, happier you. If you're interested in his workshops specifically that are more, you know, real real deep intensive into shamanism, you can go to shamanism.com, go to upcoming programs and see all the great programs that he does all over the world throughout the year. I just want to say thank you, man. I'm shaking the hand. I'm shaking the hand of the next guy who's going to be the fastest speed golfer on this planet, and you're going to see it in Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. (laughs) From the shed, peace out. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it.